0: The U.S. Marine Corps has big plans for its new heavy lift helicopter. When added to the fleet, the CH-53K will be the Department of Defense's most powerful helicopter. Nicknamed the King Stallion, it will move Marines, heavy equipment, and supplies between ships and the shore during amphibious assaults. And it will bolster operations at austere and remote forward operating bases it will move more material more rapidly. Despite these ambitious plans, its adoption was nearly halted in 2019. An issue was found on an early version of its design as exhaust from one of the helicopter's three engines was recirculating into another engine's intake rather than clean air. This exhaust gas re-ingestion threatened to cause compressor stalls and to reduce engine life and increase lifecycle costs. However, testing proposed solutions was difficult. For one, the problem's onset was substantially influenced by wind direction and height. Also, it takes time for the problem to build up in the compressor. To solve it, a team of engineers leaned on the Department of Defense High-Performance Computing Modernization Program, or HPCMP, which is managed by ERTIC. Using HPCMP supercomputers, the team completed the most extensive computational fluid dynamics modeling effort executed for a helicopter. Engineers from the U.S. Navy, U.S. Marine Corps, and manufacturer Sikorsky also used a special HPCMP software application that allows practitioners to rapidly develop and test virtual prototypes. Thanks to these efforts, the team found a solution that eliminated the exhaust re-ingestion issue. High-performance computer modeling saved months of flight test costs and allowed more than $100 million to be reprogrammed to other priorities. The King Stallion remained on schedule. After successful demonstration of the heavy lift helicopter's performance and reliability, the Navy approved full production and deployment in December, 2022.
1: The High Performance Computing Modernization Program was born in 1990 when Congress mandated the Department of Defense, or DOD, to modernize the computational capabilities available to its science and technology researchers. In 2011, the program's operation transferred from the Office of the Secretary of Defense to the Assistant Secretary of the Army, with management moving to ERDC. Today, the HBCMP delivers world-class high-performance computing and expertise to the DoD's science and technology testing and evaluation and acquisition engineering communities. Its five DoD Supercomputing Resource Centers are spread throughout the country and deliver an aggregate of 7 billion processor hours of computing power each year to support some of the world's largest computational projects. The HPCMP allows DoD researchers to explore new theories and evaluate them much more thoroughly than they could using only experiments. It improves acquisition by enabling virtual prototypes that reduce the time and cost of development and improve the quality of designs. And it performs real-time calculations to provide just-in-time information for decision-makers on the battlefield.
0: I'm Chris Kiefer, and with Megan Saxton, this is The Power of ERDC. Our guest today is Dr. Ben Parsons, Chief Technology Officer with the HP CMP. We will talk with Ben about how the program provides DoD engineers and scientists with the high-performance computing capabilities and expertise they need to solve the DoD's most critical mission challenges. Hey, Ben, thanks for joining us today.:
2: You're welcome. I'm excited to be here.: Can you
0: start I guess, we'll start at the most basic level? What is supercomputing, and why is it important to the research community?
2: Sure. So um, supercomputing is basically using a large, powerful computer to solve a really hard problem. So I think most people are familiar with the computers they have at home. They have processors and RAM and such. Mm -hmm. Um, And in its core, the supercomputers are very similar, except with more processors and more RAM. I think a basic node on our system, which is kind of the equivalent of a home computer, has about 192 cores now and up to 3 terabytes of RAM. The basic units are very similar, but the real difference is that there are a lot of them, thousands of them, put together, connected with a high-speed interconnect and a high-performance file system, and that lets them all work on the same problem simultaneously.
0: Why does the DoD need supercomputers?
2: So the types of problems that supercomputers can solve are typically things that can be decomposed into smaller pieces across all these units of the supercomputer. So problems like weather modeling, for instance, you can break down the space. And then aerodynamics are another one. You break down the space around an airplane. And so the DoD has a lot of problems that these computers are really well adapted to solve. And so specifically, though, what they do for the DoD is firstly, they save money. A lot of these computers can simulate things that would otherwise have to be tested physically, mm-hmm. and that can be extremely expensive. We have like a ship shock simulator that simulates blast effects on naval vessels, right? And that's very expensive to test in real life. Um, one of the other things it does is it saves time. You can rapidly design and prototype solutions for the DoD on these computers in a much faster cycle than you could with physically testing. And then I think the last important thing is that you can actually test things that are um, too hard to test in real life. If you imagine like an aircraft trying to land on a ship in a rough sea with certain wind conditions, that's all very specific. And Mm -hmm. if you're trying to understand the limits of those weapons platforms capabilities, it's just difficult to physically test. And so the computers can simulate that um, when it can't be tested. Yeah, sure.
1: HPCMP, the High Performance Computing Modernization Program. Give us a basic overview of this. You know, what is it? How did it come to be? And what is Arctic's role?
2: So the High Performance Computing Modernization Program is a DOD-wide program that provides supercomputing resources to the research and development community. The basic premise of why we exist is that running supercomputers is hard and it's inefficient to do at a small scale. So if every researcher that wanted to use HPC had to buy their own supercomputer and run it, it it wouldn't be efficient for them to solve their problems. Mm -hmm. So what we do is efficiently procure, configure, and operate these machines um, on behalf of the researcher and make it easy for them to come in and use these machines to solve the problems that they're the experts in. So the High Performance Computing Modernization Program was formally managed out of the Office of the Secretary of Defense, but then it devolved to the Army and ERDC acts as the executive agent for managing the program, specifically ITL. So what that means is that this program is managed and led out of Arctic, but it isn't just for Arctic. This is a DOD-wide program that's used by researchers um, in the Army, Air Force, and Navy.
0: And maybe that's kind of a good segue to talk about the DOD Supercomputing Resource Centers, or DSRCs, and their capabilities. I mean, essentially, there are some supercomputers here. There are some supercomputers elsewhere across other services. C- c- just Walk us through that and how, how it all works.
2: Ertic has one of the five DSRCs. And so ERDC manages the program, but it also runs one of these five centers. And so at the Army Research Lab in Aberdeen is one center. The Air Force Research Lab in Wright-Patt has another.
0: I'm sorry, that's Wright-Patterson Air Force Wright-Patterson Base Patterson Air
2: Force Base. Yes, sir. The Air Force has another smaller site at Maui called the Maui High Performance Computing Center that's focused on endoPayCom problems. And then here in Mississippi, there's also the Stennis Space Center with the Navy site, and then finally the Arctic site here. So there's five DSRCs total, and each one of these provides supercomputing resources on behalf of the program.
0: So interesting, you kind of said it quickly, but interesting fact, two of the five are in Mississippi. Mississippi,
1: Um, that's cool. Yeah,
2: Yeah, that's right. These uh, DSRCs are associated with the different service research labs, but any of our users can use any of the DSRCs. Arctic people aren't restricted to Arctic, and the same with the others.
0: So there's five DSRCs, but to really break it down for our listeners, talk about how big of a program this is and how much computing power we're talking about.
2: So at each of the DSRCs, we run multiple computers. We have 15 unclassified supercomputers right now and 12 classified computers, and those provide about 114 petaflops of computing capability.
0: I'm going to stop you right there. That sounds big, (laughs) but I couldn't tell you what a petaflop is. How big are we talking?
2: So a petaflop is a measure of how much math you can do in a second. And so a peta means a quadrillion. So every second, there are a quadrillion math problems being done with one petaflop. So with 114 of those, if you were to do one math problem every second, it would take you 3.6 billion years to do what our computers can do in one second.
1: In one second.
2: Wow. 3.6 billion? Yeah, so they really do a tremendous amount of math. Yeah, that's, that's
0: amazing. What else? I know you've kind of got some other stats that can kind of break it down.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, when users run a program, we typically call that a job, right? And that's a user telling the computer, I want to do something. Mm-hmm. And so every year, on classified systems, we run 17 million jobs and then 2 million jobs in the classified systems. Every year. Every year. And so each one of those is a researcher, you know, basically saying, you know, I want to solve this problem Mm -hmm, on the computer. mm -hmm. And that's done, you know, 17 million times. Another interesting statistic is our storage. We have about 200 petabytes of storage total. And so if you were to put that on DVDs, it would take 44 million DVDs to store all the data we have.
0: These numbers are so big, just trying to visualize them and process them is incredible. What about power? I'd imagine the amount of power consumed for a program like this would be pretty massive too.
2: The computers do use a lot of power. Each one uses about one to two megawatts of power, and that's about the equivalent of one to 2,000 households worth wow. of power wow. per wow. machine. So just at Ertic here, we have about 14 megawatts total, and that's not just power coming in. We also have all of that protected with battery backup and generators for when the power fails. And so all that power infrastructure the generators, the battery backup, and then some of the cooling infrastructure that's needed. Outside of ITL here, it takes up about two acres worth of space, all the power infrastructure to support the machines. And then within ITL, we have about 35,000 square feet of floor space that's devoted to the computers. And that's just here at ERDC. We have five different centers in the program.
1: And you mentioned the cooling structure. Can you talk a little more about that? These computers put off a massive amount of heat, right? Yes, they do. So in order to keep them working, going, there's a lot of effort that goes into making sure that they stay cool.
2: Yeah, that's right. So our big machines all have liquid cooling direct to them. And so some of those run the water directly to the CPUs and other ones have some heat exchangers that are built into the machines. But each one of them will have chilled water coming in through a supply line under the floor into the the computer, which keeps it from overheating.
1: So the more we talk about this, the more obvious it becomes that it just doesn't make sense for these machines to be in individual organizations, offices across the country.
0: Yeah,
2: that's absolutely
0: right. And in terms of that, the DSRC isn't tied to that particular service. So, you know, ERDCs can be used beyond ERDC. How is it all divvied up? Who gets to use what, When is
2: So uh, with the allocation of resources, we take 25% of the compute resources and we devote that to what's called frontier projects, mm-hmm. which are application-based projects. People submit proposals for them and then they're awarded to certain projects and so these projects represent really kind of the cutting edge of what's possible with the supercomputing and, th- and they consume a lot of hours and mm-hmm. that's why they're kind of a special case then the rest of the hours we split those um, between the services and the agencies 30 percent to the army 30 to the navy 30 to the air force and mm-hmm. then 10 percent goes to dod agencies like darpa or ditra okay sure and so each one of the services then has its own allocation official and they divide those resources among their users according to their services priorities. Computing
0: changes so much. I would imagine that the computers using today look a lot differently than the computers when this program first started back in the 90s. How do you ensure that you're always remaining on the cutting edge?
2: Computer technology is changing quickly um, and we're in a constant refresh cycle. We spend about $50 million per year buying new computer hardware. And so each of the DSRCs gets a new computer every other year. The technology is constantly changing, but we're in a constant state of upgrade at all of our centers. And then in addition to providing newer hardware, we also have a really robust training system that helps our users understand how they can use this hardware for their research problems. Mm
1: -hmm. So we talked a little about the CH-53K helicopter project. Tell us a little more about that, and can you also highlight a few projects that have been enabled by the DOD's high-performance computers?
2: Yeah, so the CH-53K was a great success story. When they were doing some physical testing of the helicopter, it was discovered that some of the exhaust gas was recirculating into the engine's air inlet, and this, you know, was causing a problem with performance. And so this wasn't something that was suspected. It was something that was uncovered, though, in certain conditions, um, and it was a real problem for the program. And so what researchers were able to do was take some of our software that was designed to model rotocraft called Helios, which is part of the CREATE program. They were able to virtually simulate this problem and then design a solution with only this virtual design process. And so that um, allowed them to quickly solve the problem, and it saved over $100 million in flight tests that they would have otherwise had to do.
1: You mentioned the CREATE program. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is?
2: Yeah, so the CREATE program is a really successful suite of software application codes that we develop at the HBCMP. And they target different DoD weapon systems, um, and they're put together specifically for the acquisition engineering community. So there's four application suites. There's air vehicles, ground vehicles, ships, and then RF for antenna design, as well as a fifth component, which has some common tools among all of them, like some different like meshing and configuration tools to help set up your problems. This software provides verified and validated codes that the acquisition engineers can trust and that can use to help them, you know, design these systems and solve their problems.
0: Ben, when you say acquisition, tell us more. How exactly are these programs helping the DoD?
2: Yeah, so when we talk about acquisition programs, these are the big DoD programs that are buying new weapon systems like airplanes or ships, submarines. And so whenever the DoD goes to buy anything, it's extremely expensive, it's a long process, and they really want to make sure they get it right. And so that's why the Create Suite of Codes is warranted in helping that particular community because the virtual testing is extremely important for you know designing and prototyping these things as they're being procured by the Department of Defense.
1: Not only are these expensive. And not only is it a long process to design, develop, get these machines out there for use, but then you have to help ensure that they're going to be usable for decades because this is not something that we can repeat quickly. I'm not sure that you can underestimate the value here of what HPC is doing for the Department of Defense mission as far as success goes.
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think the Department of Defense would be in a hard spot without supercomputing resources.
0: Also, we've talked a lot about developing platforms, but the applications for the HPCMP also go even beyond that. Tell me some of the other projects you all have been involved with.
2: Yeah, so there's a really great project um, out of Arctic that dealt with creating some structures to help soldiers. There were some missile attacks on U.S. troops in Iraq. And so after those attacks, um, it was realized there was a need for different types of protective structures for the soldiers in those environments. And so Erdick did a study and used HPC simulations to design some different protective structures for the soldiers. They also conducted some different types of analysis on those structures, which saved in having to do as many live fire blasts. They ended up saving about $80 million in testing cost by using our resources as well as it would have taken considerably longer to test those To um, get to structures. the right yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. And Arctic really has great HPC usage across all the labs. Um, a lot of those weapons effects, like I just talked about. GSL is heavily involved with that. But pretty much every lab has an HPC user. Every lab does have an Mm -hmm, HPC mm -hmm. user. Um, CHL is heavily involved in weather modeling. There's a lot of different coastal weather effects modeling. And then when Hurricane Harvey hit Houston a few years ago, they did some modeling on our computers to help understand the flood effects that were happening there. Mm -hmm. Environmental Laboratory does a lot of molecular dynamics. They have some really interesting projects right now trying to look at catalysts to help fix the PFAPs problem. And then like Krell even does some snowdrift modeling, which uses our resource. I think it's neat that they found a cold use for HPC. And then you've even had some of our projects on your podcast before, um, the ITL B-52 project. Yet. A lot of that involved the kind of ecosystem they put together to help those engineers collaborate. When they were doing simulations of the engines, those were done on the back end by our hooking in our resources. Sure.
0: Sure. I mean, one of the things that ertic is known for is numerical modeling across different labs. And, and I would guess that a lot of that numerical modeling is being run on high-performance computing resources. Yeah, absolutely.
1: This program has three components, hardware, network, and software. And we've talked about the hardware. So can you tell us a little about this specialized network that allows the program to function?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we run the Defense Research and Engineering Network, the DREN. This was originally stood up to connect our supercomputing centers to each other and our users to our sites, but it's expanded since then. Right now we have over 200 different DoD sites on the unclassified side and then over 100 on the classified side. This network, you know, it's still used by our users, but it's also heavily used by the test and evaluation community. And whenever we talk about the network, it's also important to mention security too. Because we run this network, security is our responsibility. And we have a large team that monitors the network constantly looking for any sort of app normalities and responding to them. And you
0: kind of hit on that, but the DREN, again, developed for the supercomputers and to connect users to it. But it's, I mean, I, I just feel like it's used in so many ways now. You know, it's grown into something so much bigger. And
2: Absolutely. The DREN is an asset to the Department of Defense in its own right.
0: And the third component, of course, is software. And we, we covered that earlier talking about the CREATE program and a lot of software applications that have come out of that. Moving to another topic, Tell us about this program kind of started, as you said, so that not every researcher had to have their own supercomputer to be able to do this work. Not every researcher is a supercomputer expert. Doesn't have to be. Can you talk about, I know part of your mission, part of your work is kind of empowering these researchers and and helping them to use these powerful machines.
2: Yeah, that's right. We have a really robust user support system. Part of that is while we have codes like Create, most of our users bring and develop their own application codes, and so they need support in being able to do that. And so with our PET program, the Productivity Enhancement and Training, there's a training component for that, and that has classes regularly that users can attend to learn how to do things. Um, We record all those, and they're available on demand online when users want them. Um, And so that's a really great resource for users to come in and do that. We also have this notion with PET of MPs. They're called mission projects. And so if a user has something um, a little bit more than basic training they need, they can request help via one of these MPs. And then one of the subject matter experts from PET will actually embed with that researcher's team for a period of normally like one to three months and help them, you know, like do something with their code or their application that they weren't really sure how to do it, so really jumpstart them. Um, And then we also have like just a robust help desk, users can call them anytime they have trouble logging in, get a live person to help you figure it out. Sure. So there's really a lot of support for the users.
0: Because I would imagine using a supercomputer is a lot more complex than just logging into your home computer.
2: Yeah, absolutely, it really is pretty difficult. And so, you know, we want the researchers to be subject matter experts, right, in their own domains, not supercomputers. And so really, we really strive to be that subject matter expert in supercomputers, right, and help them solve their problems without having to worry about it.
1: Ben, how did you come to be involved in HBCMP?
2: So when I was in graduate school, I participated in the SMART program, which is a DOD program to um, fund students. And as part of that, I was paired with Erdic in ITL and the DSRC. And so Mm. while I was in graduate school, um, I worked with the DSRC via that program. And then when I graduated, I worked full time for the DSRC. I did that for a few years. I did a mix of center management projects as well as research projects with other researchers in ITL. And then I transitioned into the program office as the CTO, and I've been here for about three years.
0: High-performance computing continues to evolve. What do you see on the horizon for the HPCMP?
2: So the core mission of the HPCMP is providing computing resources to the DoD community. And so I think um, the biggest change is going to revolve around that hardware change. So most people, or many people, have heard of the end of Moore's Law, the fact that the Density of transistors on silicon had been doubling every 18 months, but that's, that's really slowing down now. And because of that, computer design is changing. You can look at like the DOE's exascale supercomputers, and those are all GPU-based supercomputers. So there'll be like eight graphics processing units on every one of the nodes. And when you build computers like that, it's, it's much harder to program and they're much harder to use. And then looking even further than that, I think there's pretty general consensus in the industry that we're going to see more of those types of things with different accelerators, not just a faster CPU every year. Mm-hmm. And so the big picture there is that I think supercomputers are going to get harder to use. And so the HPCMP is going to have, you know, an increasingly important role in helping connect researchers to the right technologies and helping them use those technologies efficiently to solve their problems.
0: Sure. I mean we talked just a minute ago about kind of how you're empowering those researchers that aren't supercomputing experts. And, and that's, I guess, the, the sort of service that's going to be that much more meaningful.
2: Exactly. The need for that's only going to grow as the hardware gets more complex. Well, thanks, Ben. That's it's been a great discussion, and
0: we appreciate you joining us. I, I think I understand the impact of the HPCMP much better, and, and I think our our listeners will too. I mean, it's amazing when you talk both about the amount of computing power you have and just the impact you have, not only for not only for the Army but across the DoD. The work you guys do is so important, and I appreciate you coming and
2: discussing with us today. Well, thanks. I was happy to be here, and I enjoyed our conversation.
1: The DoD's High-Performance Computing Modernization Program amplifies the creativity, productivity, and impact of the DoD research and acquisition communities by giving them access to insight that would otherwise be too costly, too dangerous, or too time-intensive to obtain through observation and experiment alone. In doing so, it enables new technologies and innovations that will allow the Department of Defense to develop next generation platforms and capabilities and enhance national defense.
0: The Power of ERTIC podcast is a production of the U.S. Army Engineer Research and Development Center. Follow ERTIC on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest information. You can listen to the Power of ERTIC podcast in all major podcast players. Visit poweroferticpodcast.org. For more resources. You can also contact us at Power of Ertic Podcast at usace.army.mil. That's all for today. We'll see you next time.